everybody's trying to get a sponsorship money, but ultimately we want to grow the sport and we would try to grow the sport together. And I think that's why NFL Germany is doing a really good job at putting everybody in the boat together. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, here on Radio Row at the Super Bowl in Phoenix, Arizona. Scott, I got it right this time. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito along with Scott Rosner. And Scott, this is the perfect example of you sit at a table and you never know who's going to walk by. And lo and behold, there's an alumnus of our program walking by who, by the way, has something to do with the growth of the NFL in Europe uh, and an entrepreneurial side that everybody should know about. He's been on our show a couple times before. But Marcus Kuhn, welcome back to the Cusp Show. I'm very excited to be back here. And uh, I have to say right away, I was not really surprised, but uh, more like appreciative of that my alma mater is like one of the few schools or probably the only graduate program, program graduate program represented at the Super Bowl every year yeah. so I think it's awesome that you guys are here no thanks it's uh, it's a pleasure and it's an honor and it's always always great to have you uh, and see you around so so we'll do a quick background on how we got connected your playing career which was which is remarkable in its own right um, and then we'll get to what you're doing now so young Marcus Kuhn growing up where <laughs> Uh, born and raised in Germany, lived there until I was 21 years old. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've said it in, 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 a, in a past. Absolutely, podcast and you wind up in, somehow playing American football. Yeah, I mean, playing American football is a little bit fun. If you are, you can't see me right now, but if you are six foot five and 300 pounds, there's not many sports left over for you <laughs> to actually pursue. So American Cornhole. football, Cornhole. you're not exactly scaring the Manuel Neuer's of the world. Yeah, exactly. Right? So it, it, it was the right fit for me to try football eventually. And then ultimately I got better and better. The NFL Europe approached me. They wanted me to play for them. But I wanted to go play college football because I thought it was a bigger opportunity. I wanted to go to university anyways. So as a 21-year-old, I showed up, or as a 20-year-old actually, I literally showed up at a bunch of colleges with a highlight DVD, got a scholarship at NC State. So as a 21-year-old, moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, and that's kind of how my American-American football experience started. And had great success, wound up as a draft pick, um, and embark on a successful NFL career. Um, and upon really the end of that career, um, you decide to do what? Um, yeah, so at the end of the career, like most of the other, most players, like you've, you kind of fall, not in a hole, but you're all of a sudden, it's a scary moment because you have all the opportunities in the world, but then also you have to pick what you want. And for me, from my mind was like, let me figure out what I want to do and what better way of channeling that thought is to go back to school and get my master's at Columbia. So that, by the way, it's a natural progression from playing football in Germany to going to NC State. That's the pipeline, right? It is. That's the pipeline. That's a very small pipe, but it's a very effective one. Yeah, and and look, and it is. I have to say, it is a very effective one. And in Germany, it's it's my claim to fame that I was in 2014 the first German to ever score a touchdown in the NFL. But if I actually personally think about one of my most proudest accomplishments, is truly getting my master's and going back to college at a great institution in New York City and, and getting my master's. Yeah, and, and, and after you've had your NFL career, it's over. I mean, so to do that is, is it's, I, I hate to, it's not an overused word, but I think it's appropriately used here, remarkable in, in a lot of ways. So post-career, post-master's post degree, then what do you do? 
So I actually, um, I was done with, I think, 2000, end of 2018. And then in 2019, like most athletes, I was broadcasting actually games to Germany all along during this time. I started so, broadcasting. Sebastian Vollmer, right? Sebastian Vollmer, another fellow German. Yeah. We actually started broadcasting all of preseason games to Germany from the Patriots. Then broadcasted the ever reg the first ever regular season directly from the U.S. to Germany out of Gillette Stadium. The Patriots always been very very active in the German market. Um, and then in 2019, I broadcasted all of Monday Night Football to Germany for the entire year. Like a lot of athletes, like the media side is always I feel like the low hanging fruit, and sure. a lot of people gravitate to that. But it was the same for me, and ultimately I realized I know the media side, I know the, the, the sport from a playing side. The one thing I don't know, I've been working with the league on internationalization just through the media perspective. One thing I didn't know exactly how teams operate. So I wanted to reach out to my old team, the New York Giants. Funny enough, the same week I literally had planned on reaching out to them, they reached out to me and said, hey, we would like to get you back in the building. We'd like to work with our alumni in any role that might see fit. And I told them, well, I just got my master's, so this regular internship program is not really working for me, but what else could we do? And uh, Kevin Abrams, mm -hmm. uh, current professor at Columbia, one of the top executives in the front office of the New York Giants, I'm very close with him and I started working football operations to really know how contracts work, how the draft works and I did that for a year and then after that I actually worked more on the business side, um, try to push the Giants to be part of the internationalization program from the NFL to apply as an IHMA territory, obviously with my German background to Germany, which then ultimately uh, didn't work out and I decided then at the end of we have 2023, uh, at the beginning of 2022, to start Kuhn Sports and Media, and now I uh, took on pretty uh, good clients, I would say, with the NFL obviously being one of them. I still do some media work, but I support the NFL internationalization to Germany. I'm the main ambassador for flag football, so I, I support the flag football or football development in general in Germany. I do business development and sales for the Patriots in Germany on top of my media. I do the same thing for the NFL PA, where I try to get them a bigger footprint and help our players internationalize or with internationalization of their brand, because they are all global brands and not only American brands anymore. And now I just recently signed a two-year broadcasting deal with the new rights holders for all the NFL games in Germany. Oh, that's, that's it's got amazing. nothing to do. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and, and actually, I can't and forget. Father? And uh, I'm a father. And I was last week. I was just put on the board of directors of Larier Sports for Good, oh, one of really? the biggest uh, global sports organizations. We know, Very nice. we know them the well. We do some work with them too. Yeah. So I don't know if you know <laughs> that great. or not. Yeah, yeah. a new, new board member. So and that's it. That's it. That's so <laughs> so kind of kind of boring. Take a nap. Yeah, exactly. So. Sleepy post-career, yeah. post-playing career, right? <laughs> so let's talk about, you talked about and mentioned two things that you're involved in that we are heavily interested in and talk about in all of our classes and, and, and we're actually involved in the um, in, in FLAG uh, right now doing some work with the league in that space. But um, talk to us about first the International Home Market Area Program. It's, it's one that, just for quick background, um, we advocated for, for a long time. We say we in conversations with league executives. Yep thought about for a long time and talk, hey, like, we know that there's a cost associated with doing so, um, and you get very little revenue, but as a brand building, right, it makes a lot of sense. And from a pure business perspective, it made zero sense, right? Because you Honestly, would... and, and I think that's even shocking to some people, yeah. and I think that was the pitch originally, like, we want to grow the brand through the teams. But now looking back, and then we just had the first game in Germany, there are business opportunities in Germany, and a lot of the teams are actually realizing 
oh, there is some money to get there as well right. while we grow the sport. A absolutely. So, but the league changes its policy, and I think that's really important because yes. for for the, our listeners who aren't familiar with it, the way that it worked prior to the to the creation of IHMA, without going into the real weeds, was essentially that yeah, you could go up and set up shop in a foreign country, um, but you would bear 100% of the expense associated with doing so, mm -hmm. and 132nd of the revenue associated with doing yes. so because you're going to be sharing it with every other team. In other words, the revenue belonged to the league. Essentially. It's just like how the league teams. is set up in general. It, the it, that's exactly model. right. It was, it was a league first model. And while the NFL Shield is incredibly powerful and we're all aware of that, fans don't fall in love with the Shield, right? Yes. They, they fall in love with the individual teams, right? Yeah. So, Owners fall in love with the Shield. <laughs> so. So, so the league and, 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 and one could argue a little late to the table, but better better a little late than never, changes its policy and creates this IHMA, International Home Market Area, um, and they put different countries up for bid, yes. for, for all intents and purposes, um, and it's non-exclusive, countries are open, anybody who wanted to reach certain thresholds could bid, um, and we had about two-thirds of the league, if, I, if I'm... If, Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, originally, originally, that's how uh, I think originally it was 18, 18 teams that signed off for about 26 overall territories. Correct. Um, so it started off with seven territories in general: it was Canada, Mexico, Brazil, the UK, Germany, uh, China, sure. and Australia. So this was the seven territories, and then after. Some teams decided, you know what, there's some other territories that we're interested in. Now you have uh, Spain actually opened up, Ghana, the Eagles are in Ghana, so Africa mm -hmm. opened up, New Zealand uh, started you know, opening up too. So more and more countries are yeah, being designated international home market area teams. And the good thing is for the teams, they can actually they write a five-year business plan and say, why do they want to approach this market and what they ultimately what their goal is. And instead of sharing or getting one thirty-second of the revenue, they have the same rights as in their home market areas. The 75-mile radius you have usually around your facility, that's the same rights they have internationally. And then they compete also for the first time ever against the other teams that have these markets. Mm. So in Germany, from my perspective, I work very closely with the Patriots. They're the number one follow-up follow team in Germany. They've been doing things way before they even know they can monetize it in the future. And the Kansas City Chiefs are another one, the Panthers are one, and then the Buccaneers. So we know that the Chiefs have a partnership with Bayern Munich, yes. right? which really is, is an extension of the Hunt involvement, Hunt family involvement yep. in, in soccer um, in the United States, which then is a natural connection to, to Bayern. Um, what are the Patriots doing uh, in terms of either relationships in Germany uh, or other activities that are occurring there? So, the, so, but the Patriots is interesting because they really were at the forefront that they realized, wow, we have a huge fan base in Germany. And like I said, before they could even monetize it, they started in 2017 where Sebastian Vollmer, another German-American football player, he played for the Patriots for eight years, won two-time Super Bowl champion, probably the most, or not probably, the most accomplished American football player Germany's ever produced. Um, and then me, um, 2017 when we started broadcasting the preseason games. Then later on we started broadcasting a regular season game and that was just kind of to creating content. I mean, social media is always the, the low barrier of entry, right? You start some specific social media content for that market. You're trying to give a look behind the scenes of what the Patriots are actually doing there and just not translating only the content but really catering the content to your market in Germany. And now, since last year, the Patriots went over there, they had a flag football program where they taught young kids um, in Dusseldorf flag football, 
Um, and now we're we're planning on having multiple player trips actually this year going to Germany and the Patriots now will play a game in Germany uh, for the first time ever this year. Yeah, which which is amazing. So one can imagine the activation that can occur around yes. that. So what's it like? I mean, and, and it's interesting. It's really, and you're right about this. It's the first time that there's been a competitive market in sponsorship sales, yes. uh, for example, as opposed to having an exclusive home territory like you do in New England yeah. uh, if you're the Patriots or whatever other team within a certain mile radius of your home uh, of your home uh, facility and, and home state, hometown. Um, so how does that work from a competitive standpoint? So I think what teams also have to realize, and I, I always like to use Bayern as an example, and I work, uh, my biggest learning came from the Bayern Munich office and I, during my Columbia time I got really close to them. Uh, Die Conjurer, we just talked about her, who's running the office, that does a phenomenal job. And we, I just pick her brain and say kind of, you have the same right problem or uh, the, same, the same challenge, yeah. the same goals, right. that you are the second sport more or less, or not even the second sport, or in Germany where the football is the second sport, right. but you have the same challenges over here what we have for another sport in Germany. And I think ultimately teams have to realize the, the tide raises all ships, right? It's, it's good to be competitive and everybody's trying to get a sponsorship money, but ultimately we want to grow the sport and we would try to grow the sport together. And I think that's why NFL Germany is doing a really good job at putting everybody in the boat together. Everybody's trying example, to get a sponsorship money, but ultimately we want to grow the sport. We are in under 20 schools together. all across Germany, NFL Germany five major cities. is doing a really good job every of putting everybody in the boat together. Germany adopted more or less a city. We're supplying those kids with equipment. We're teaching them flag football. And then we just had a flag football tournament during the Munich game where one school, Frankfurt, ultimately, the Goethe, you know, uh, the Goethe Gymnasium in Frankfurt won that game. And the NFL flew those kids plus their teachers to the Pro Bowl in Las Vegas to compete into, in the NFL flag football games. And I mean, and a lot of German-based sports organizations, they don't do this kind of yeah. stuff, right? Mm -hmm. This is the NFL is covering the front and is to grow the game. And I think that's a good initiative where all teams work together. But then ultimately, you know, the competitiveness is of who does the coolest activation, who brings the most players over. Even that is ultimately the fans win because they have the teams competing not only for sponsorship partners, but also who does the coolest activations and who does the most events or the best events. So from a media perspective, yep. right? So one would imagine that the Patriots, not only in social media, but from a more traditional media and through NFL Game Pass, right? Which is the international, yep. the product. Um, any any sense of are the Patriots the most viewed team, the most watched team? So so, so we just had since 2014 we had uh, free TV rights holders. Mm -hmm. Where ultimately the NFL said, you know, let's push our games to Germany. And now the biggest station um, in Germany, it's or even in Europe, RTL, a big media house, they just bought the rights, and it kind of shocked everybody that. The, at a big station like this would buy American football but just be see, like we're the number two sport watch sport in Germany around just behind soccer we just had our first game in Germany last year and we have two like we always say next year this year right. but next season two 2023 uh, games yep so um, they had games in London since 2007 but all the big data and metrics as Germany is already blowing most other or I think every other territory out of the water and I think wow. that's that's really impressive that you see Germany loves American football. And looking back in 2007, when the last year of the NFL Europe, when they existed, mm -hmm. five out of the six teams were all in Germany. So we kind of knew how big our sport was in Germany. And now I think it's just growing. The big media households are buying into that. And I think 
people always say, oh, wow, we have arrived in Germany, but it's, it's literally just the beginning of, think, of, of something even bigger to come. Interesting. So, and, and no truth to the rumor, by the way, that Joe had Ryan Flyer season tickets, just so you know. Uh, Not true. I had the NFTs, though, so they worked out really wow. well. Wow, how did that work out? <laughs> Very well. About as good as the season tickets. Exactly. So, Perfect. Um, two questions. One is, can you talk about when a German brand looks at the NFL, what are the things that they like, and if there's an example of someone who's really engaged? The other one, which we want to pivot to, is the growth of flag football, which we talked about on another podcast. But how do you, looking at that as a global property, maybe an Olympic property, maybe a women's property, uh, so talk about... Number one, um, the um, uh, a brand and how that works, and then also the global yeah. property. Yeah, so, so first things, I mean, the NFL is a very attractive family brand. And if you look at our demographic, we are a little bit different than the soccer demographic, the traditional soccer demographic in Europe. Like our age group, our income level, our education level is for most brands a very, very attractive property. And on the other hand, if you go, unfortunately, to some soccer stadiums in, in Germany on the weekends, it's not that much of a family-friendly product. Yeah. And that's all the, that the NFL is pushing that very much. And I think that inclusiveness of the product it's very interesting for brands, but then also it's interesting on a global perspective for the league in general, that all of a sudden you say, you know what, we have our product to tackle football is one thing, and that ultimately we want to attract people to, but what, how we do that, and I think that's what you said, Joe, flag football is a huge initiative that. We want to be 2028, we want to be in the Olympics. I think that we just had the Pro Bowl in Las Vegas that for the first time we looked at, and I know actually Colombia had a role in this when we looked at how can we evolve the Pro Bowl, how can we make it a more attractive product, mm -hmm. that it probably makes sense that these guys are not really playing football the way the game is supposed to play in the Pro Bowl, because why should they? Sure. How can we change it? And I think having them now play backyard football or flag football, some, a bunch of guys having fun, I mean, it's phenomenal. And then on the other hand, the, really the flag football initiative, I mean, you have boys and girls play for the first time a sport together, and I think that is so important. And when we go, so I was in, in multiple schools and multiple tournaments in Germany, and teachers told me to have actually boys and girls play together, it's like the hardest thing for a teacher to accomplish in school. But when you play soccer, one kid has been in the soccer club, they're always better. So they all start kind of on a plain in a plain playing field mm -hmm. and then everybody finds and the good thing about our sport too everybody finds a role and finds a niche you know what maybe you're a little bit faster you like to play receiver or some other people they like defense better so everybody finds a role boys and girls all play together and I think that's that's so great about it mm -hmm. is flag internationally more about and specifically in Germany more about developing players or developing fans I think it has to say you want to have a touch point with young people right away to expose them to the sport. Ultimately, the more people play, the odds increase of the more people maybe play ultimately then tackle football and then get into the pipeline, maybe play college ball and play in the NFL. So I think it increases the odds. But I think it's very important that some people then look at, oh, this is a great sport. I like to play this in school. What else is out there? And then ultimately, even if you don't play flag football or tackle football later on, you will always be closer to the game and you ultimately be a fan of the game. Yeah, so. I mean, and that's the thing we've seen, and the, and the NFL's data points have long proven this out, that the number one driver of adult avidity 
in football yep. is whether or not you played the game mm -hmm. as a young person. And it teaches you the rules right away. So the biggest threshold internationally, the sport is so hard to understand. So hard. It's, flag football is a lot easier to understand. So you already, you already got the hook and then you can learn the next layer and everything. So I think that's also that lowers the barrier of entry. Yeah, and one of the things that we started in our program since since you've graduated um, is during our orientation program, which is was pretty robust, uh, you know, one week intensive program. We actually try to make it to an NFL preseason game. Oh, I thought uh, we were going to start flag football games. No, that well, no, they yeah. still they still yeah. play soccer uh, on 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 during the week at 7 a.m. at 110th in Amsterdam. That's an aside, Joe. Um, but. To, and we, but bringing it, and, and remember, about a third of our group always is international. Yep. And for almost all of them, it's the first NFL game they've ever been to, whether preseason or not. And we, we actually try to have the, the international students sit with U.S. students who understand the game to try to give them some translation, to try to give them some knowledge, because it is inherently just an incredibly difficult sport to understand. There's so many nuances and yep. rules, so on and so forth, um, that we've found it really effective. And from an acculturation standpoint, I think the international students are like, oh, I get, like, they start to get it a little bit. But right? also, like, there's certain points, like, you watch some sport and then ultimately you get it all, I feel like you kind of get tired of it because what else is there to learn? What I like about our sport, obviously I'm biased, Football, there's so many nuances and levels. You can almost never stop learning more. And even if you think you're already an expert, then you can go into certain data analytics about the sport that is super interesting. That also, and we have a class about that at Columbia as well. But these are all aspects of the sport that are so important and even open up careers. That you know what, you maybe come from a data analytics perspective, you find a you find a niche in, in football. So there's so many levels to our sport that you almost can, yeah, you can you can never fulfill your hunger about learning more. Hmm. Cool. Uh, Marcus, before we let you go, I have one more question. So when you look now and you project out with all the learnings that you've had in the last couple of years, what are the things that excite you, not just about football, but about the business of sports uh, as you're kind of looking, especially with the global landscape? I mean, I think one thing we saw after pretty much two years of COVID that we are a very recession-proof industry. And one of the first things that gives people hope again is to have sports. Even in times that don't go so well, people always come back to consuming sports, participating in sports. I think that's what brings us together on a global perspective as well. If, if you're trying to internationalize as a, as a country or as a sport, these are the touch points, right? Even in transatlantic relationships, like sports is something that unifies and brings people together. And I think that's a, a very feel-good story and that's an, a huge opportunity as well. And on the other hand, it's like, I mean, if you can make a living in sports, it's, it's hard to beat. Especially playing in the NFL. Uh, or not, but I mean, no, not, not even though, not, right? every, not everybody is going no. to be a 6'5", 300-pound German guy uh, that has a chance to play in the NFL. But I think the great thing is about also about sports, there is a niche for every man and for every woman to find. And, and right now, that's what happens too, especially in the U.S. I think there's a great job with leveling the playing field. And now you have from coaches to referees, everybody is represented, and that's the way it should be. Mm -hmm. Cool. Now it's amazing, and it, and I love to see the the growth that you continue to have. You know, you hate to say it's almost patriarchal, right? But you hate to see a post graduation to see how you've evolved. I agree. I mean, in, it, into it, your in career awe, is have. is amazing. We're we're incredibly proud of you. Uh, and honestly, and I, I always said this was, and every time I like to talk about, uh, of course, we all feel football players or sport athletes. We all have egos, but really, one of my my biggest 
reasons I think where I am currently I am in my life is because I was with international people all from the sports industry around the world exchanging ideas and that helped me so much in my personal growth that yeah getting my masters at Columbia was a big reason for where I am right now wow. well cool. uh, we're, we're humbled and honored to have played a, a small role in, in your success Marcus so Marcus uh, before we let you go tell us where people can find you follow you especially with your new business um, give us a, a little bit of a primer as to where, where you are yeah obviously Marcus Kuhn I'm uh, easily to be found on LinkedIn <laughs> social media type in Type in my name. Worst case, you just Google German football player, and my picture will probably my picture will probably come up. It's so Lewandowski. That's pretty straightforward. Cool, great. Well, uh, once again, Marcus Kuhn, you know, really excited for what you're doing as an entrepreneur, working with the NFL, working with flag football, representing our program. Uh, it's been a pleasure once again having you on the Cusp Show, and we look forward to learning more from you, almost more than what we could than than um, what you can learn from us going forward, Scott. No question. Um, great job, Marcus. Great seeing you as always. And for Joe Favorito, this is Scott Raj. You've been listening to the Columbia University Sports Management Podcast, The Cusp Show. See you next time.